Hello and welcome to Chatting, a podcast where people chat about how they learn and use English. My name is Sam, I'm a CELTA teacher and a performer and I have a particular interest in pronunciation and expression. In each episode, non-native and native speakers will chat about their experiences with English, share their advice and, at the end, I'll give some pronunciation tips for you to take away and practice. So, ready? Let's get chatting. This episode, I'm chatting with Lawrence. Lawrence is originally from the UK and currently lives and works in Wales. He's an opera singer and, as you will hear, he is also a copy editor and proofreader. As we're in different countries, we were online and so, as usual, there were little delays here and there and words disappeared. But, luckily, you won't hear anything we're not used to. We chatted about the difference between copy editing and proofreading, the importance of being consistent in your writing, and UK versus US spellings. But I started by asking Lawrence to tell me a little bit about himself. Uh, my name is Lawrence. Um, I normally do opera singing, um, but the last few years I've developed a little side career in, uh, in proofreading and copy editing. I did an English degree uh, back when I was a normal kind of student age uh, and I've always enjoyed kind of the written word and everything to do with the written word mm-hmm. um, and friends have always asked me just to, to check anything they've written just to make sure it's sort of grammatically correct uh, and I've always enjoyed doing that as like a little hobby um, and I thought just a few years ago why don't I try and make that a little bit more official uh, so you can do courses online with the Society for Editors and Proofreaders because um, you sort of you need that sort of structure to uh, to do a reasonable job. It's not really just just checking stuff. Since then, I've gradually built up um, a little bit of work. It was pretty pretty slow at first, um, so it's gradually getting a bit busier, and it's um, that's really enjoyable, and it's a great thing to do alongside you know the opera singing as well. Ah, oh, fantastic! How would you describe your English? My English is, I'd say. The way I speak English is um, it's definitely received pronunciation. So I don't have like a regional accent or anything like that. Um, so I'd say I speak English in quite a posh way. In terms of written English, I mean, I've done a fair bit of kind of fiction and non-fiction writing in the past. So I'd say I'm a reasonably fluent writer uh, and I'd always always keen on kind of adding more vocabulary and um, you know learning kind of new words because it's never too late to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so could do better but reasonably happy with the way I, I write at the moment. So okay as a proofreader then what would you say was your main purpose? So I'm a, I'm a proofreader and a copy editor and they're quite they're quite different so okay. the proofreader I mean comes in right at the end of the publishing process literally before the book goes to print just basically looking for simple errors spelling errors punctuation errors um, layout errors there might be an extra line there might be um, two paragraphs where so there should be one paragraph, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, wrong font used in, in somewhere in the document, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So right before it eventually goes to print. Copy literature is much earlier in the process. It tends to come straight from the author. Okay. Um, so there's much more of a remit to actually read a sentence and think, well, oh, that sounds a bit clunky. I think they could have written that better. Mm-hmm. And it involves often liaising either with the editor or to publisher or with the author themselves uh, to work out a better way of writing. You can also deal with kind of the structure of the piece of work as a whole, make sure it's got an internal consistency. Um, so not just reading it line by line, but looking at the, the thing as a whole and making sure it, it hangs together as a work. 
So the work I normally do now is really kind of a combination of both. So I'm told, can you proofread this, this book? And it's often more of a case of actually copy editing and you've got more of a remit to actually do a little bit of rewriting. So during this sort of process of copy editing, do you see similar problems with the things you read or is each book, each piece of work very, very different? Each book's different. I mean, I recently edited uh, an autobiography and he'd very much written it as kind of a real stream of consciousness. So oh. it was just, and then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Each paragraph was kind of one sentence long. It was kind of thrilling, but wouldn't really have worked into book form. So it's just a question of kind of calming the whole tone of it down, making sure the paragraphs were longer. Um, the other end of the spectrum, I do a fair bit of kind of um, work on, on academic texts. So they very much come to me more as kind of a finished article. And it's a question of maintaining like internal consistency. Mm -hmm. So it sounds rather a, a, a duller sort of procedure, but it's making sure they, for example, um, you've got to decide in, a, in any sort of publication really, whether you're going to write out numbers as numbers or just spell them as numerals. And if you're going to do that, whether you write them up to 100 and then use numerals or whether you just use numerals from one all the way, because if it's inconsistent, it just, people will notice, it doesn't yeah. get right in a book. Um, so they, they differ hugely. Um, and I've also done a little bit of, of work on um, on kind of foreign translations. Um, and this this basically a brochure. Someone had translated it into English, um, but in a very sort of rough way. So it was going through this brochure and just changing it from not necessarily incorrect English, but into kind of more smooth flowing kind of idiomatic English that would read like proper English to an English reader. So this in particular, I find very interesting because we yeah. obviously live in a world of the direct translation. You can go online, yeah. put in a paragraph and it'll be translated for you. Yeah. Do you read things and you think, oh, okay, this has been through a machine or, or is it just, it's difficult? I don't know, people, it's hard yeah. to translate naturally. It is. I don't think it had been through a machine. I think someone had actually, a human had, had worked on it. But it's, it just, not, none of it was necessarily wrong. Mm. I mean, uh, I suppose a, a couple of examples was I got the impression the translator probably felt they'd used, for example, the word large a few too many times. Uh -huh. and they'd maybe looked at the thesaurus and thought, we need to find a different word for this. And they described the tower at one point as being voluminous. Or crumbs. <laughs> and, that, and I just thought, that doesn't sound quite right. Why, why doesn't it sound right? Mm. And, and I, you know, I look stuff up because I, I know it sort of vaguely means big. Yeah. Um, Apparently, it normally re refers to clothes. Someone yes. wearing a lot of clothes. It's kind of volu a voluminous dress, something like that. Yes. Um, so, and actually, in the end, I think I just corrected it to to four times as large, which kind of referred to another another bit of this brochure. And mm. um, so, often I find like foreign translators complicate things too much. They they think they're being correctly English by using a possibly a a, a rarer word like voluminous. Mm. Um, but in the end, they'd be better off just sticking to in a term a more simplistic method and just again using large or, or big i absolutely agree i mean i teach that you know a simple message is a clear message that's right absolutely yeah have you come across anything we like oh i'm really not sure you know is there any sort of grammatical point or punctuation point you think i'm not sure about this most punctuation points are are fairly clear. I mean, the biggest problem I find with any text really is, is consistency and punctuation. Um, uh, for example, some people use double quotation marks, some people use single quotation marks and they change them throughout, throughout a, um, a piece of written work. Mm. And the thing is just use the same all the way through. Um, so 
consistency errors is is by far the, the most common so in mm. terms of punctuation um i don't have to look much up it's often often facts i look up and um because you don't always have to go back to the author and say are you sure this is correct mm. um, if i'm unsure about something i'll google it and check so it's factual stuff is is so easy to check these days I and mean, i might use a couple of sources online mm. to make sure it's correct no. um yeah there's a, a lot of a lot of checking goes on spelling for example for for foreign names just making sure that's right use of um you know foreign letters for example in german used with umlauts that sort of thing is there an umlaut in, oh, in yes. is there not oh, yeah. the, the quote about english being the easiest language to learn but the hardest to perfect i think that's really true because yeah. we we don't, we don't have umlauts or acute accents grave accents things like that mm. um, and also we we don't have we don't have genders as much as other languages. We don't have as many cases as other languages. They do, no. they do exist, but then they're, they're kind of not as obvious. Mm. So I guess it's hard to know, you know, not having learned English as a foreign language myself. Mm -hmm. um, but initially it must be easy to pick up the basics. Um, but then because there's, there's so many kind of spelling and pronunciation inconsistencies in English, it must be really tough to then actually end up sounding like a, a native English speaker. Mm. It must be really, really hard. I mean, an example I always use is I used to live in, in Milton Keynes and there's three areas of Milton Keynes and they're called Broughton, Loughton and Woofton and they're all spelled O-U-G-H. <laughs> three of them are pronounced differently and they're within <laughs> like, you know, three, three miles of each other. Um, so it's things like that must be incredibly difficult. I guess your kind of work really allows you to explore English from a different perspective, not just as a native speaker, but, you know, from yeah. all different angles. Is there anything you've come across that's been particularly interesting? I think in terms of punctuation rather than, rather than English language, because that's what I was, I suppose, less least certain about when I first started doing proofreading. Mm. It's, I mean, quite dull, dry sounding things like when to use kind of colons and semicolons is always something I've Tricky sort of though. guessed at. And it's really interesting actually doing some research and finding out exactly when, when you can use them. Um, okay. And they're often interchangeable. And even discovering on the keyboard, um, you know, things that I, I'd never used before, like um, there's a particularly long dash that you have to press about six keys on the keyboard to get that Americans tend to use to separate, for example, dates. Oh. And it's called an M dash. You see it sometimes in old text. For example, in like a, a Dickens novel or something like that, you'll see um, Lord S visited the club that afternoon and there'll be a long line after the S because it's possibly based on a real character, but he doesn't really want to say that. Um, so that, that's been a, a discovery of, of, of my kind of a journey of discovery on my Mac keyboard really is finding out how to produce these these symbols that I didn't know existed. I know. I, I'm yeah. so six times. I have no idea where I'd find that on my keyboard. I'm exaggerating slightly, I have to say. <laughs> you, press, you press three, two keys plus, yeah. plus the dash key there to get it. So on this journey then, Lawrence, what about your own English? Is there anything that you think now that you would like to improve in the way of grammar or pronunciation or punctuation? I think it's vocabulary for me. I mean, there's so many unused words in the English language that I'd love to to know, to be able to use, to be able to use in everyday speech. Mm -hmm. And I'd quite like to, to use a word now, for example, that people would have to then look up, but I, yeah. I can't think of it at the moment. And, you know, just, just to keep these kind of words alive. So I've always kind of tried to kind of, you know, have an ambition of to like learn a, a new word a day. And I've never done it. It's always been a thought in my mind. I must learn a new word a day and then I can use that, you know, in my copy editing the next day or whatever or use it in everyday conversation and it's never mm. really happened 
because um, sometimes I'm concerned I've got a reasonable amount of vocabulary to use but it could be so much wider because mm. there's so so many words in the English language and yeah. and their meanings are so nuanced I mean like for example the voluminous word I mentioned earlier you know I yeah. mean refers specifically to to clothes which is fa fantastic um, and there must be so many other words like that that've got similar very nuanced meanings which I'd love to be able to use so I think I'd like without the use of a thesaurus to be able to you know have other words at my disposal whenever I whenever I need them. All right, last question then, Lawrence. What about advice then for writers when learners are writing English? Any particular top tips? I think keep it simple. Um, I think that's that's the best advice I'd give. You know, don't necessarily use the thesaurus or whatever to find a different word because it's probably going to be the the slightly wrong word. I mean, not utterly incorrect, but a slightly wrong word. So keep things simple. Use those simple words. Um, gradually, when you're learning English, you'll build up vocabulary anyway, and you'll have more more words at your disposal. Um, keep sentences short. Actually, don't be afraid to you know delete an and put a full stop in its place and start a new sentence. So, I think initially simple vocabulary, simple-ish short sentences, um, and then build from there, and um, just enjoy the enjoy the process of learning. And actually, one well, yeah, one final thing. One of the other problems I come across is American spellings. Actually, sometimes I have to proofread a book, and it says use American English. Um, but sometimes you get combinations of, of both. Um, you know, color spelt without a U and things like that. Gray with an A instead of an E. So, um, what's your feeling on that then? I feel if it's published in England, um, in Britain rather, it should definitely be in UK. English, if it's published in American, American English is absolutely fine, but there's a, mm. a time and a place for both versions. I don't think American English is wrong. And in fact, some people think like IZ endings, for example, in a word like sympathize, for example, are, are American and are wrong, um, but they're actually applied to both, both versions of English. And the IZE ending is actually older, equally as, equally as relevant. So each has their place, but certainly in the UK, I think uh, UK English is definitely the one to use. Quite right. I, I agree. I agree completely. My advice is follow Lawrence's writing advice. Be consistent, keep it simple, and don't be afraid of shorter sentences. The aim is always to be as clear as possible. And it's not necessarily wrong to use US spellings in the UK or UK spellings in the US. Just keep to one or the other throughout your work. So, this episode's pronunciation tip is around the different sounds words with the letters O-U-G-H can have. Lawrence gave me a really good example of three places in Milton Keynes in the UK. Loughton, Broughton and Woofton. All with O-U-G-H spellings, but all pronounced differently. When looking at these types of words, Learners think at first that there is a common sound, but then discover that there are many different sounds. We know that words like rough and tough are the same, an uh sound, but then the word cough is an oh sound. And then it gets trickier. So, let me show you how adding one letter to an O-U-G-H word can completely change its sound. First, though, an O sound. We use this word to show contrast in a statement. Try this sentence. Though the job is very difficult, it's a fun place to work. Next, 
Let's add the letter R to though to make the word through from an O sound to an OO sound. This means to go directly from one end or point to the other. Try this sentence. Don't drive through the city centre, it's too busy. Finally, let's add the letter O to through to make the word thorough from an oo sound to an uh-uh sound. This means in detail or carefully so nothing is missed. Try this sentence. The student's research was very thorough. Bonus sentence. To practice the three sounds o, oo and a, uh, try this sentence. Though they went through the thorough plan, they still found mistakes. Over to you to practice. So there we are. The transcript of this episode is available to read on the podcast's webpage. So take a look. Join me next time for more pronunciation and grammar tips, more advice and, most importantly, more chatting. My thanks again to Lawrence and, for her music, a massive thanks to the wonderful Mara Carlisle. Bye for now.